president, and the thing looked like so humiliating a embarrassing. with people literally trying to pull up, pull an embarrassing up. announcement where he says he's by sellers from the Midas Touch Network. I want to show you a video we made at the Midas Touch Network, which is going viral right now on Twitter. It's about Trump's humiliating and embarrassing announcement <laughs> when he's running for president. I mean, the thing looked like a funeral at Mar-a-Lago with people literally trying to escape from his speech, and the security was, like, keeping people who wanted to get the hell out of there. Here, let me play this video that we made. We call it Trump is Done, and I'll talk to you about it after the clip. Roll the clip. I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. That's the thing that people keep pushing back on. They don't want to go into a whole nother storm of hate. I actually saw people trying to leave and people leaving early even before he was only still speaking now. We are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. We call it the China virus. Some people call it other things. He started with the China virus. He started with, you know, uh, poking names at DeSantis. And we've heard that. And people are tired of it. Angela. Who's Fox? Remember Angela? Do you remember Angela? Nobody's remembering her now. I'm sure you're very supportive of, of, of your father-in-law, <laughs> but those of us on the outside looking at it, it didn't Name seem we got the old magic. You know what I mean? We built the wall. We completed the wall. In the caravans. I love the name I came up with. It. I love the name. The caravans. A word that I refuse to say. Isn't that from maybe Hitler's speeches? Speeches? They actually started preventing people from leaving. I'm not going to use the term fake news movie. The New York Post said at the bottom of the page, Florida man makes announcement. I had to fold it over so you can see it. It says, Florida man makes announcement. And then, perhaps worst of all, see page 26. Ivanka Trump yesterday said she's bowing out of politics just after her father's announcement. Look at how time flies. Look how fast it's all going. We trying to get some distance from her dad who's going to prison. The one thing, too, though, that I look forward to, and it's exactly what Biden said when he was asked by some reporter, well, what do you think is going to happen with DeSantis and Trump? I was like, Look, I'm running the United States of America. I really don't care, but it's going to be fun to watch. Like, it is going to be fun to watch Trump and DeSantis just rip the Republican Party to shreds. And as Lindsey Graham said, if we anoint Donald Trump to be the leader of this party, we're going to get what we deserve, and he's going to destroy us all. That's when Lindsey Graham had some sense about him in 2015 or so. And right now, Lindsey Graham is fully and completely on the uh, MAGA weirdo. Ivanka. Because she'd go to, he'd go in. To prison. Lock. Smiley face. Great emoji.
pro democracy And let's get this done. train right now but look as i've always said and you know this from watching the midas touch network i'm not a democrat because i love the donkey logo or i have some specific affinity to the democratic political party though it's what the democrats stand for while i disagree with a lot of the things or some things that the democrats do i agree with some i disagree with some i know i have competent adult leadership that is trying to solve problems that are addressing the problems and are addressing the issues. They're not talking about what the MAGA Republicans are and spreading weird QAnon conspiracy and talking about Mr. Potato Head this and the <laughs> green legs and Disney being woke or not woke. You know, just absurd things that have nothing to do with what American Anything. people are going through. Like, Democrats are talking about health care. Democrats are talking about education. Democrats are talking about real freedom. A woman's freedom over her body. The freedom of Americans to marry who they love without government intervention. Democrats are talking about infrastructure. Democrats are talking about jobs and bringing manufacturing jobs abroad right here in the United States. Democrats are not just talking about a living wage, while Republicans are talking about how do we keep the minimum wage as minimum as can be. Like, who the hell supports that? Democrats are talking about how can we give people wages with dignity and improve working conditions and improve unions to protect workers and actually treat hard-working Americans the way they deserve. None of this Republican trickle-down economic stuff. I mean, just think about what the Republicans even stand for. I mean, the whole idea, if they stand Nothing. for anything, this idea of let's give billionaires and decamillionaires even fall. more benefits than they already have because they have a few yachts and a few mansions. Well, great, if, if, you can, if you can get that, fantastic. But no, the MAGA Republicans, they need more yachts. They need more mega mansions. They need more private jets. And maybe we'll just trickle down just some of it to the people. And that's never actually worked before. Democrats are saying, how can we actually help the workers? How do we focus on them? And then what are the Republicans? Republicans do anytime there is relief or benefits that Democrats try to give to everyday Americans. Boom. Federalist Society, get into action. Let the Federalist Society file all these lawsuits everywhere. Because God forbid an American gets a benefit, that a hardworking American gets a, a benefit that they deserve. 
And by the way, while the Republicans fight for the billionaires and fist bump each other when they try to take away the health care of our veterans, like, are you kidding me here? You know, when I see that Trump video that we made here at the Midas Touch Network, I just think of how dangerous, how weird, how deranged that whole that whole political cult is not even a political party I truly do long for the day I hope it happens but I don't have any hope given the Kevin McCarthy and all of these people like I'd love to have normal political debates and normal discussions but fundamentally we have to agree agree that this is a democracy Fundamentally, we have to agree to treat human beings with compassion. Fundamentally, we have to agree that Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un are not our friend. Fundamentally, we have to agree that when we watch a video like that of Donald Trump, that we condemn it and call it out. It is staring us in the face that that is fascism. That is that is a three alarm siren right there. That is something that we all need to call out and condemn and not equivocate in any way. And that's why, by and large, this midterms was a repudiation of MAGA weirdness, MAGA extremism, the QAnon stuff. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like the Republicans are learning their lesson. So we here collectively at the Midas Touch Network, you, us, let's teach them a lesson. Let's keep growing this pro-democracy coalition. Hey, do me a favor. Hit the subscribe button right now. We're on our way to 1 million subscribers thanks to you. We just passed yeah, 700,000 subs and it's growing rapidly. So me. please, it's free. The New York Post said at the bottom of the page wanted to get the hell out of there here. Let me play this video that we made. We call it Trump is done. And I'll talk to you about it after the clip. Roll the clip. I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. That's the thing that people keep pushing back on. They don't want to go into a whole nother storm of hate. I actually saw people trying to leave and people leaving early even before he was done. He's still speaking now. We are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. We call it the China virus. Some people call it other things. He started with the China virus. He started with, you know, uh, poking names at DeSantis. We've heard that, and people are tired of it. Angela. Remember Angela? Do you remember Angela? Nobody's remembering her now. I'm sure you're very supportive of, of, of your father-in-law, <laughs> but those of us on the outside looking at it, it didn't seem that he got the old magic. You know what I mean? We built the wall. We completed the wall. In the caravans. I love the name I came up with. it. I love the name. The caravans. A word that I refuse to say. Why didn't you raid Bush's place? Why didn't you raid Clinton? They actually started preventing people from leaving. I'm not going to use the term fake news media. The New York Post said at the bottom of the page, Florida man makes announcement. I had to fold it over so you can see it. It says, Florida man makes announcement. And then, perhaps worst of all, see page 26. Ivanka Trump yesterday says she's bowing out of politics just after her father's announcement. Right. Look at how time flies. Look how fast it's all going. How many subscriptions are you paying?
for. Rocket Money finds sneaky or forgotten subscriptions and makes canceling them as easy as clicking a button. On average, Rocket Money users save over $720 a year. Here's how it works. Just open the app, go to the reoccurring tab, and here you can see all your reoccurring subscriptions. Tap on the subscription you want to cancel, then tap cancel now. Trump is done. We had to make that video. You know, the one thing too though that I look forward to, and it's exactly what Biden said when he was asked by some reporter, well, what do you think's going to happen with DeSantis and Trump? Like Biden's like, look, I'm running the United States of America. I really don't care, but it's going to be fun to watch. Like it is going to be fun to watch Trump and DeSantis just rip the Republican Party to shreds. And as Lindsey Graham said, if we anoint Donald Trump to be the leader of this party, we're going to get what we deserve, and he's going to destroy us all. That's when Lindsey Graham had some sense about him. Or so. And right now, Lindsey Graham is fully and completely on the uh, MAGA weirdo deranged train right now. But look, as I've always said, and you know this from watching the Midas Touch Network, I'm not a Democrat because I love the donkey logo or... I have some specific affinity to the Democratic political party, though it's what the Democrats stand for. While I disagree with a lot of the things or some things that the Democrats do, I agree with some, I disagree with some, I know I have competent adult trying to solve problems that are addressing the problems and are addressing the issues. They're not talking about what the MAGA Republicans are weird QAnon conspiracy and talking about Mr. Potato Head this and the green legs and Disney being woke or not woke, you know, just absurd things that have nothing to do with what American people are going through. Like, Democrats are talking about health care. Democrats are talking about education. Democrats are talking about real freedom. A woman's freedom over her body. The freedom of Americans to marry who they love without government intervention. Democrats are talking about infrastructure. Democrats are talking about jobs and manufacturing jobs abroad right here in the United States. Democrats are not just talking about a living wage while Republicans are talking about how do we keep the minimum wage as minimum as can be. Like, who the hell supports that? Democrats are talking about how can we give people and improve working conditions and improve unions to protect workers and actually treat hard-working Americans the way they deserve. Republican trickle-down economic stuff. I mean, what the Republicans even stand for. I mean, the whole idea, if they stand for anything, this idea of let's give billionaires and deca-millionaires even more benefits than they already have. Because 
they have a few yachts and a few mansions. Well, great if, if you can, if you can get that, fantastic. But no, they need more yachts. They need more mega mansions. They need more private jets. And maybe we'll just trickle down just some of it to the people. And that's never actually worked before. Democrats are saying, how can we actually help? The workers, how do we focus on them? And then what do the Republicans do anytime there is relief or benefits that Democrats try to give to everyday Americans? Boom, Federalist Society, get into action, let the Federalist Society file all these lawsuits everywhere, because God forbid an American gets a benefit, a hardworking American gets a, a benefit that they deserve. And by the way, while the Republicans fight for the billionaires and fist bump each other when they try to take away the health care of our veterans, like, are you kidding me here? You know, when I see that Trump video that we made here at the Midas Touch Network, I just think of how dangerous, how, weird, how deranged that whole, that whole political cult is. Not even a political party. I truly do long for the day. I hope it happens, but I don't have any hope given the Kevin McCarthy and all of these people. Like, I'd love to have normal political debates and normal discussions, but fundamentally we have to agree, agree that this is a democracy. Fundamentally we have to agree to treat human beings with Fundamentally, we have to agree that Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un are not our friend. Fundamentally, we have to agree that when we watch a video like that of Donald Trump, that we condemn it and it out. It is staring us in the face that that is fascism. That is, that is a three-alarm siren right there. That is something that we all need to call out and condemn and not equivocate in any way. And that's why, by and large, this midterms was a repudiation of MAGA weirdness, MAGA extremism, the QAnon stuff. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like the Republicans are learning their lesson. So we here collectively at the Midas us, let's teach them a lesson. Let's keep growing this pro-democracy Coalition. Hey, do me a favor. Hit the subscribe button right now. We're on our way to one million subscribers. Hit the subscribe button right now and get your thanks to you we just passed 700,000 subs and it's growing rapidly so please it's free to subscribe just hit the subscribe now also if you can please consider joining patreon patreon.com slash Midas touch and consider becoming a patron of the Midas touch network we are not funded by any millionaires or billionaires or any outside investors at all we are powered by democracy and purely fueled by Breakdown. Ooh, this sounds great. May I This is one month ago. Breakdown. This simple 30 second method reverses memory <laughs> loss for good. Sounds it's so easy, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. And award So, welcome, Ellie. Good to have you back on May Culpa. So, a new book. Congratulations. First of all, I just want to say that I really enjoyed Hatchet Man, uh, you know, about Bill Barr and now the new one uh, called Untouchable, how powerful people get away with it. First of all, first thing I want to say to you, excellent topic. And I hear, and I hear that's what people ask you to explain most when you're, um, you know, when you're on television and so on. Um, I also understand that I'm in the book and Trump's in the book. 
Steve Bannon's in the book, Roger Stone, even um, Bill Cosby is in the book. So do me a favor, yeah. explain to my listeners, how did they get away with it? So first of all, you're right, Michael. The way this book came about is my editors at HarperCollins said, well, what's the question you get asked the most? And I said, well, by a mile, it's how the hell does he get away with it? Now, the he can vary a bit, but it's it was often Donald Trump. Um, and... I thought, yeah, uh, that is by far the number one question. And there is no number two I can even think of. And HarperCollins said, perfect, let's write about that. And so what I do in the book is a couple things. I weave in sort of reporting that's out there in the public and analyze the way that various powerful people, including Donald Trump, have gotten away with it over the years. And I'll get into some of those ways in a bit. Um, I, I weave in my own experience as a prosecutor at the Southern District of New York. As you know, Michael, I was a... I was an organized crime prosecutor. And the more I went through it, the more I found that, wow, a lot of the tactics that powerful politicians and CEOs use are really mob tactics. I mean, people say it all the time. Oh, that's a mob. That, that's what a mob, that's how a mob boss talks. I mean, all due respect, I know how mob bosses talk because I prosecuted them. And a lot of the more subtle tactics are sort of mob tactics as well. And then finally, Michael, you are in the book because I tell the full story behind the scenes for the first time of the pro what became the prosecution of only Michael Cohen, the hush money payments scandal involving Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. And I think a lot of people are wondering how the hell did this whole thing result with only one person ever being charged, and that's you, Michael Cohen, who I say was essentially the bad man, more or less. Certainly not the driving force behind it, certainly not the beneficiary behind it, as you will well know, but how do you end up in a situation where this guy who's a, who's a borderline player in the whole scheme gets charged and sent to prison, in part for this crime, yet nobody else faces a crime? And I dug in, and I got people who talked to me from all different perspectives within the Justice Department as well, who explain, first of all, how Trump became individual one and not defendant one, um, and then also what happened after he left office, right? Because everyone understood he couldn't be charged while he was left office. As I talk about in the book, DOJ sort of forced some of the prosecutors to pull some of their punches in a way that I think people will find really interesting and really uh, bothersome. Um, but even after he got out of office, why didn't the SDNY charge him? And I have the whole backstory on that as well. So I think I can answer some of the mysteries that go into the way that your whole case played out. Which is interesting because those are things that I could not get answered yeah. um, in my book, Revenge. And so what I did is I went around it. Um, and what I ended up doing is using documents, using testimony from individuals, as well as certain articles that were written that were trying to explain the mistakes that the authors had made into it. Now, of course, I know that you were former prosecutor at yeah. SDNY, and despite that, I still like you, right? Because I truly <laughs> believe that most of the SDNY prosecutors, at least the ones that I've met, and I haven't met a lot, right, but the ones that I unfortunately met at the SDNY, I'm very quick to turn around and to call them exactly what I think they are. A bunch of motherfucking lying scumbag cocksuckers who all <laughs> used me in order to advance themselves. That's what they are. Tom McKay's still there. Nick Roos. Uh, this um, well, Tatiana Martins. Uh, the whole group of them. Um, uh, what the heck is the other asshole's name? Uh, the one who's in major crime frauds and so on. Um, who ended up 
threatening my accountant that if he went ahead and filed amended returns that they were going to shred them and I would do more time. I mean, this is not normal behavior. So, but so you, know, you talked about, wait, but you talk about in, in the book, you talk about how I was the bag man for Stormy Daniels, Hush Money Payment, and Karen McDougal. And one of the things that, again, I dispel in my book, Revenge, I never paid Karen McDougal. In fact, all I right. ever did is look at the agreement that was done by David Pecker, who the same scumbags at SDNY gave, not only got a free pass, full immunity, right? Yeah. And they all lied. That's the yep. worst part. Alan Weisselberg lied. And I want my, I want my listeners to actually look this up. Google Alan Weisselberg lied to Southern District of New York. And read the article. I don't want you to take my word for it. How do I end up being the bag man, right, so to speak, for Karen McDougal when I never paid it? And I tried to explain that to the SDNY, but they had no interest in 48 hours. But my, my, the last part to this when you yeah, say bagman, it kind of like implies him. I was running around with cash, like what right. they tried to say in the steel dossier. I sent $130,000 from my bank account used to a, an IOLTA account yeah. with Keith Precious. Davidson, an attorney in Beverly Hills, California. That's not a transaction that I was hiding. I was doing an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Take it away, Ellie. Yeah. Don't buy solar panels. Seriously, there is a very good reason why we're saying this. If you're thinking about buying solar panels, when I have to note my disagreement with your characterization of the SDA. I don't know all those folks you listed, but I do know some of them, and, and I, I do not view them the same way you do. Fair enough. Yes, you do. You just I think. Fine. No, no, no. I, I, listen, I, I'm critical of other prosecutors at times. Um, I don't know enough of these. I don't know any of them. I don't think I ever worked with any of them directly. But I will tell you this. I think our books, in a weird way, are, are sort of complementary in that you give your perspective, the, the defendant's perspective. I give the other side and tell the other part of the story here. And, and it's interesting because I'll, I'll give you one little teaser from the reporting that I have. You talk about Alan Weisselberg. Um, I got confirmation, which is in the book, that the SDNY prosecutors did not believe his uh, his grand jury testimony. They felt that he was fudging the details in Donald Trump's favor. And I asked people who told me this, why didn't you charge him with perjury then? And the answer was, well, we didn't feel like his lies were concrete and provable enough to bring a perjury charge. And so what happens? Ella Weisselberg ends up slithering away where he gets a free pass in, in exchange for his testimony, SDNY prosecutors themselves don't believe his testimony, are not willing to bank on it, are not willing to charge anyone on it. Yet Weisselberg doesn't get charged with perjury or anything else. And, and by the way, because Weisselberg was willing to lie for Donald Trump, fudge the truth, whatever you want to call it, that made it more difficult to charge Donald Trump. Which it's a perfect example of one of the ways that powerful people get away with it because people are under pressure to lie or fudge the truth for them. People understand what their marching orders are. I quote you, Michael, about when you were asked about um, your, your false testimony to Congress about the Russia construction. And you said, look, Trump doesn't tell us to lie. We just it's known within the ethos that we're expected to lie. Um, so I think the book is really revealing in that sense. It gives 
almost the prosecutor's perspective. And I'll tell you, the book is critical of prosecutors in general. And in some respects, the prosecutors on your case that I think is an interesting compliment and largely consistent with, not in every detail, but with, with the experience you had as the person on the other end of all of that. So as I was saying before, if you go and you Google Alan Weisselberg lied to SDNY, one of the first articles that pops up, August 11th, 2021, written by Kara Skinnell, someone who you know great reporter. CNN quite yes. well. Great reporter. All mm -hmm. right? And here's how she starts it off. New York federal prosecutors came to suspect the Trump Organization's chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, lied in testimony during their investigation of former Trump personal attorney Michael Cohen three years ago. Yep. And that's according to four people familiar with prosecutors thinking. But guess what they do? Nothing. They don't go ahead and charge him, as you say. They give him limited immunity. Yep. They give him immunity, the same bullshit immunity that these same scumbags ended up giving to, um, you know, to David Pecker, Pecker uh, and to you know, and to others that ended up testifying, Perfect. including Perfect people name. like my former accountant um, you know, who fucked up. You know, I had a CPA, this guy, Jeffrey Getzel. I write about him in the book Revenge, Jeffrey Getzel. I gave him every single bank document, every single document that I had, I put into a three ring um, notebook. I've been doing it the same way since the 1990s. And I would send them to him. He would produce for me an 1800 page tax return. And then he would tell me how much was owed. I'd give him access to my bank account. He would wire the funds. End of story. And I paid him. I paid him for the work. Yeah, never in my whole life probably. have I ever been audited. I've never filed a late tax return. All his job was was supposed to um, reconcile my bank accounts and provide me with a proper amount. A receipt. Now, do I dispute the fact that he made a mistake? I do not. So right. is that a tax evasion? The answer is no. It's a tax omission. Just like many other people, I, unfortunately, because of my relationship to Donald Trump and the SDNY's need to fuck me up, bad what did they end up doing? Not a chance. Never received a letter from IRS. Next thing I know, I either plead guilty to these five tax evasion right. violations or what happens? They're finally an 80-page indictment, and it's going to include my wife. And that's not something I, as her husband, who loves her with all my heart and my soul to my life not gonna let it happen yeah i had 48 hours from a friday to a monday is this normal is this normal no. process no and, and and michael i say in the book look i say it is indefensible that the only person punished for all of this people higher than you donald trump people lower than you people parallel to you you're the only one who has ever faced any consequence for it. Everyone else skated somehow. And that's why I'm, I, I thought it was such an interesting thing to break down, because I'm thinking as a, as a former prosecutor, how could that be? And it sort of goes against a lot of the things I was taught as a prosecutor. Now, when it comes to Weisselberg, by the way, Kara Scannell's reporting is spot on, of course. Spot on. That, that the SDNY believed that he lied and he wasn't charged. What I did, though, is I asked some of the people involved, why not? And their responses are in the book. And I analyze their responses. I'll tell you some, uh, something else that I think is interesting about the way this sort of all went down is um, 
I, you know, I get the story of basically how did Donald Trump become quote unquote individual one? And I will tell you, there was a lot of back and forth between Maine Justice and the SDNY as to what do we call this guy? Another thing, I don't know if you knew this, Donald Trump had his own lawyer who was going in and lobbying the SDNY about what should be done with your case, Michael Cohen, um, because Donald Trump had a had a lawyer, a very good lawyer here, very well respected, in fact, an SDNY alum who wanted to make sure that in the prosecution of Michael Cohen, Donald Trump didn't take any collateral damage, um, meaning things weren't said that might harm him. And that lawyer was successful in some respects. She got most of what she asked for, but not all. But did you know that? I wonder, actually, Michael, did you know that Trump had his own lawyer lobbying the SDNY about how to handle your case? No, I only learned about it when I read about something similar um, mm -hmm. in Jeffrey Berman's book, which, yeah. again, and I'm contemplating on filing a bar complaint. He again, has the it, head against, against him. Do so it. He's recused. How does he know this? to strip himself of his license and the fact that he did yeah. have that information as a lawyer and a guy who is the head of the fucking Southern District of New York, the head of this criminal division of the Southern District of New York, wearing the big boy pants. Yeah, he doesn't uh. he doesn't provide this information. He doesn't let anybody know. Now I got a better idea. I'm going to hold on to that information and five years thereafter. I'm going to write a book about it. <laughs> I, when I got in a car accident, I had no idea what to do or who to call. It was my fault, but was I going to get totally screwed here? I was. I completely share this question for Jeffrey Berman, by the way. Jeffrey Berman, just so people out there understand, Jeffrey Berman recused himself off of your case, Michael, off of the whole hush money payments case, because he said, I'm doing the right thing ethically because I might have a conflict of interest because I was nominated by Donald Trump. Not technically, they did it this sort of backdoor route, but I was Donald Trump's choice. I had donated, Jeffrey Berman had donated to Donald Trump. And so it could be a conflict of interest if I'm involved in a case that could impact Donald Trump. And the general response to that was, yes, that was the right thing to do. That is the ethically correct thing to do as a lawyer. Yet here comes Jeffrey Berman in the middle of 2022, and he's he's now got the story. He's got the info. What happened to recusal? What happened to keeping yourself out of it? What happened to doing the right thing? I don't know the answer to that, but um, I think that has to be taken note of. Yeah, and I think that the recusal also, by the way, you may not know this, had to do with the fact that his brother, Michael, was actually partners with David Pecker in a magazine called George after John F. Kennedy Jr. passed. I remember the they magazine, ended up taking I didn't it. know that. That's right. Yeah. That he, yeah. sure, he sure was. You can Google that too. Huh. So let me then further and ask yeah. you this. Look, he's, I'm, I'm contemplating right now of filing it. I've drafted the whole thing already. Just a matter of sending it in. I personally think it's a violation. It's either unethical what he did or it's illegal. It's one of the two. There's no other there's no other answer. And I'm curious to see how the New York State Bar Association, those groups of fucking losers that were so fast to jump on my back. Oh, you know, you play guilty. You play guilty. We have to take your license. I was like, so take it. Take it. I mean, I have been a member in good standing since 91. Right. And at the end of the day, no bar complaints, nothing. Right. And you don't even want to hear out what was really going on here. And so, no, no, we have not, it's you played, therefore. And I was like, OK, no problem. So let me then ask you this. Is the whole system just rigged for the rich? Because I think we all fear that that's the case. 
but we just don't want to believe it. Right. Yeah. And I have experiences. And, you know, when we talk about this, not just on this show, and we talk about when we see each other in the green room, that really taint and skew my point of view. You know, but yeah. as you researched your book and from your own experience, what did you think? Is the system as broken as we think it is? I think the short answer is yes. And I think it, there, there are sort of three factors that converge here. One is there are all sorts of benefits available to the to the rich, to the powerful within our system, some of which I think are not immediately obvious. We know about some of the obvious ones, but there's a lot of things that are more subtle that I only understand now because I was able to be a prosecutor for 14 years. So number one, the system does afford many advantages and benefits to the rich, the powerful, the well-connected. Number two, some people who are rich, powerful, well-connected learn to really exploit those advantages. Donald Trump was a maestro, is a maestro at that. Whether intentionally or just because he has certain in street-level instincts, he was really good at this. And he, whether intentionally or not, adopted a lot of the very same tactics that I would see in my mafia cases. And then number three, part of it, I'm critical, as I said, of prosecutors. I think prosecutors are more tentative when it comes to rich, powerful um, intimidating type defendants, treat them differently, don't know how to counteract their uh, some of their tactics. And I'll give you one example that I, that I point out in the book, Michael. You know, prosecutors love to say, oh, we treat everyone equal. Oh, everyone's equal under the law. You know, Lady Justice is blindfolded and all this and that and no fear or favor. But you know what? That's bull. And you know how you know it is? Exhibit A is the justice manual. This is the big fat book that governs all DOJ prosecutors prosecutions, because the justice manual says that if your defendant or subject is a person who is well known, who is a political person who's likely to generate national media attention, then you'll have to bring your case up to higher and higher levels of approval and review. And so just naturally, if it's a case against Joe Schmo, I think I say about you, Michael, if this was just a case against some New York City lawyer who wasn't prominent, it would have been been signed off on by probably the line prosecutor, maybe a unit chief. But because it was you, Michael Cohen, big, bold-faced name, it went not only to the line prosecutor, not only to the unit chief, not only to the criminal division chief, not only to the acting U.S. attorney, but all the way to the bosses at Maine Justice. And so when you have six or seven different levels scrutinizing and having to approve, just mathematically, you're going to have less charges coming out of that than if it's up to just one or two people. So, yeah, I think that's a very uh, a very real thing. Well, I'm sorry, what, what, do you mean, what do you mean by less charges? No, not they less charges. A, they, sorry, I mean, if you, have, if you have a situation where one or two people need to review charges before they become an indictment, we're going to have way more indictments than if you have to have six or seven layers of review, because six or seven layers of review means six or seven different people who can go, no, no good on that. And I give some examples in the book of cases that I had as a prosecutor that were handled differently because the person was well known. I'll give you one example. I talk in the book about a case I had where a major league baseball player, I don't say his name in the book. I won't say his name now. Maybe I'll tell you afterwards, Michael, but a well-known guy, not a household name, but he made a couple all-star teams um, was caught up in a gambling ring with the Gambino organized crime family. And we had him pretty much dead to rights. Now it's gambling. Who cares? It's technically illegal. It's technically a federal crime we would charge it against mobsters just because they're mobsters and you want to take out mobsters and we had to figure out what to do now if this was just ordinary joe schmo if it wasn't a well-known major league baseball player i would have made that decision by myself i wouldn't have even mentioned it to to my unit chief 
I would have just said no, no, no dice. Because it was a well-known person, we had to go all the way up the chain and figure out what to do. And I give various examples of that where prominent people, famous people, powerful people get way closer scrutiny before they get charged than just a run-of-the-mill person. But I wasn't even charged. I wasn't indicted. I ended up well, pleading. You took an information, which is a charge. Yeah. Well, that, well, it is a charge, but I ended up pleading to a one-page information. Right? So my folks, my listeners here understand. This is just where they lay it out and say, as I said before, you have 48 hours to plead guilty, and we're going to write the allocution for you. And you're yeah. going to read every word of that allocution the way we're writing it. And you're going to practice the responses based upon what we know the judge is going to ask you. And any deviation, right? And, you know, um, we're indicting both you and your wife. And we're going to perp walk her right now out of your apartment. And I'm Can I ask you, I have a question sick. for you, actually. I have a little bit of a reporting, que a journalistic question for you that, that I think is interesting. When you gave your allocution, meaning when you stood up in court in front of Judge Pauly and said, I hereby declare that I am guilty, did you say that the SDNY wrote that out for you or did you ad lib that? Because you said the stuff, that's when you said the stuff about Trump was involved. Don't buy solar panels. Seriously, there is a very good reason why we're saying this. If you're thinking about buying solar panels, don't. The U.S. government will literally buy them for you if you take 60 seconds to answer a few questions below. Hi there. If you are a homeowner in America and you wouldn't mind saving a couple thousand dollars on your electricity bill this year, then you're really going to love what the U.S. government has just announced. You see, a few days ago... Yeah, so I never said that the SDNY was involved in writing the allocution. In I thought fact, you just said they wrote it out for you on a piece of paper. No. I'm telling you that. I'm telling my listeners that. I write about it in revenge. Yeah. But, but but one of the first things that they told me, and I'm talking about Tom McCain now, which again is why I call him a fucking dirtbag, <laughs> turned around and said, the judge is going to ask you if you wrote this allocution or it was provided to you by us. You say right. that you and your lawyer wrote it. Really? Right? Okay. Yeah, really. All right. Um, that, he's, he's, a, he's a dirtbag. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know. Let me ask yeah. you a question. Yeah, I'm glad you don't. So <laughs> let me ask you this question. Post my bullshit and everything, I understand that there was a dozen sealed indictments that were sitting there at the SDNY regarding the Stormy Daniels matter. <laughs> I have not heard Google that. It. You Google it. And for some unknown reason, the SDNY then ended up not using any of those indictments, those sealed indictments. And in fact, what they claimed is that there wasn't enough information for them to open up a case and to charge the people who were in those sealed indictments. I'll never forget this. This is a true story. When those, when the announcement of the sealed indictments came out, Charlie Kushner was running around telling people we have mutual friends um, that you know that know him and um, and yeah. the, the wife uh, Searle. Charlie was running around telling everyone, "I can't believe it! My son's going to be indicted. My son's going to be indicted." Mm -hmm. I have no idea what those indictments were all about. Who was named? I suspect it would have been Donald. I suspect it would have been Don Jr., Ivanka, Eric, Jared, etc. They dropped. They dropped that. In, they dropped those, and they 
destroyed those sealed indictments. Why? You're talking about the, the Southern District of New York? Yes. So I I have uncovered no evidence that I don't see it on Google either. Um, nothing in the reporting I did indicated that. What what I did uncover is that there was a much longer, more robust version of what was the Michael Cohen indictment, but as you said, became an information. So people understand there's we all know what an indictment is. That's a formal charging document. If a person agrees to take a plea right away, like you did, that becomes what we call an information. But when they were constructing the Michael Cohen indictment, that had chapter and verse on Donald Trump's conduct in it. And the SDNY was bigfooted by DOJ. Well, it wasn't Bill Barr at the time, I take it back, by, by the Donald Trump uh, administration. This is under Sessions, although Sessions was recused, so there were others, but by the DOJ bosses who said no. You need to take all that information about Donald Trump out of the Michael Cohen documents. SDNY, actually, I detail the fight, but the SDNY actually pushed back on that. But ultimately, uh, as much as the SDNY prides itself on being independent, we're, we're not anarchists. You ha we have to listen to DOJ. But there was a big fight, Michael, over your indictment. They had a long, de detailed indictment, and I describe it in the book, that would have laid out, your, if you look at your, what ended up being your indictment, your information, it only mentions Trump seven times, individual one, seven times. And most of it is just like individual one was the CEO of the company, like no substance on anything that he did. That's because it got taken out of there. And, and I tell the story of why. Hmm. Well, um, when I when I find that article on the sealed indictment. Yeah, send it to um, me. Over there at the SDNY, I definitely will send it. To okay. And I've talked about it. I've talked about it yeah. quite a bit. And I think you and I actually had spoken about it. Um, in the in the green room, where I said, why would they why would they not have done it? So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Since we're talking about CNN, should I ask you what's happening over at CNN, or should we just leave that topic alone? No, no, I'm not. Listen, I I don't. All I do is I go where they point. I do my legal analysis, and that's it. Um, and I, you know, so so let, <laughs> that's all I have to say. You know, because it's just weird. Uh, I mean, they're taking. In some cases, they're taking positions that you would think are almost, um, you know, right of center here. And I just, well, I just let me, don't get it. Let me just tell you, in my experience here, and this, this applies to ever since I started here in 2018, when, when Jeff Zucker was in charge or now with Chris Licht in charge, no human being has ever told me what to say or how to say it. Nobody I agree has ever, with that. ever no one. said, you, you come on there, nobody, nobody has ever said or suggested ever. Hey, you may want to you may want to push it this way. Never, never. The only ethic instruction understanding I've ever had is get it right, call it straight, give us your explanation. That's it. So that has never changed here, and 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 I I believe never will. Hmm. Okay, then we're going to leave that one alone. So let me then move on and ask you this: What can you tell me about the Oath Keepers trial? Right, <laughs> first time, first time in thirty that we've convicted, yeah. right, since the 30s, that we've convicted someone on sedition charges. So well, what's yeah. your take? What's your take on how long Rhodes and Megs are likely to get, right? And also, because yeah. I think it carries, what, like a 30-year sentence or some something like that? And also, you think that this trial can act as a roadmap or a model for how the DOJ might ultimately prosecute Trump? So it, it, a lot of interesting questions there. So first of all, seditious conspiracy law is rarely used. It was used 
here's the recent history before these January 6th prosecutions. It was charged in 2010 or so in Michigan against this group called the Hutari. They were this sort of separatist group, but that prosecution collapsed. The charges were thrown out. Nobody was convicted. Before that, you have to go back to, to 30 years ago to the mid 90s when my former office, before I was there, the SDNY, charged uh, members of a foreign terrorist group who were planning this day of terror where the plan was they were going to bomb 26 Fed, which is the FBI headquarters. They were going to bomb the bridges, the tunnels, all this. They charged and tried and convicted some of these foreign terrorists on seditious conspiracy charges. And before that, it's used every generation or so, maybe more than that. But it goes, the law goes back to the post-Civil War era when the idea was let's keep Confederate sympathizers away from taking office. Um, these charges were... You know, people say they were aggressive charges, and I guess that's right, but I think there's a fair criticism of DOJ that they didn't charge enough people with seditious conspiracy, because what seditious conspiracy means many is thousands to agree there. to use force, force is an important element here, in order to either overthrow the government, that's the more dramatic version, or to interfere with mm -hmm. a lawful function of the government here, the counting of the votes by Congress, the electoral votes. Um, judges have criticized DOJ, federal judges, more than one for being too light in their charging decisions. They've said essentially, why are we seeing all these misdemeanors, trespass and, and disorderly conduct, yet the total number of misdemeanor charges is many multiples, the, the, the number of charges of a seditious conspiracy. Nonetheless, I will give credit to Merrick Garland and DOJ. They did charge seditious conspiracy against this group and another group of leaders of the Oath Keepers and another group of leaders of the Proud Boys. But that's um, only three people. It was actually kind of interesting here because they convicted the they convicted all five people uh, here of some crime or other. Uh, in fact, all five of them were convicted of uh, obstruct uh, conspiring to obstruct Congress. But only two of the five Ow. were convicted of the seditious conspiracy, the using force part of it, and that was the top two uh, defendants, Rhodes and Meggs. Um, you asked what type of sentence they're going to get. You know, people love to go right to the max. Oh, 20 year max, 20 year max. It is very rare in the federal system for people to get the max. I mean, in a murder case, you're going to get the max. But usually the federal sentence or, or state sentence is a, is a fraction of the max. This will be really interesting, though, because we haven't had a seditious conspiracy in a long, long time. Um, if I had to ballpark it, I think Stuart Rhodes is going to get double digits. I think he's going to be in the 10, 12, maybe eight or nine, you know, eight to 12 year range, because I think his conduct was very serious. I think the judge will recognize that. And I think the jury's verdict recognizes that. And I think you'll the sentences will sort of tear down from whatever Rhodes gets. But but I don't think we're looking at we shouldn't be looking at slaps on the wrist here. We shouldn't be looking at 18 months or three years or five years. We should be looking at a massive amount of acquiring a business now, for totally, yourself. I'm so glad that he brought this up. Michael brought this up, exclamation points. I'm an award-winning political science researcher, UC Berkeley, 94. All right, I'd your guess. Love your show. I'm your number one fan. Oh, let's see here. What's up? Um,
And point great idea Trista the Justice Department yes I am hashtag DOJ volunteer Yeah. And producer. This is just fucking sad. Okay, um, good enough for government work. This is my man, baby. Don't grab me to tell you my story. Yeah. Don't I mean, let look, we've me. all seen uh, the numbers that are coming out these days. You know, some uh, 11 years for this, you know, 12 years for, you know, for that. I mean, look at, for example, um, the case of reality winner, five years for one document. I mean, you know, they're not shy in handing it three years for another guy getting his pecker pulled by a porn star, right? I mean, talk about a guy getting screwed and not even really getting screwed. You know what I mean? I mean, it's really, it's, it's a good it, epitaph thing for you, just, Michael. Yeah, well, thank you. Boom, boom. And it's, look, it is, it is what it is. What it is. I, I agree with you. I think it's double digits. I don't think it's going to yeah. be a life, so on. But again, it goes right back to your book, right? Yeah. Now, Rhodes is not a rich man by any means. In fact, um, when I did my Maya Culpa live in L.A., we had Jason Van Tattenhove, who was the spokesperson yeah, for the Oath Keepers. Mm -hmm. And um, Rhodes actually slept in his basement. So we're not talking about a rich guy. However... <laughs> What happens is because he's lumped in to the rich guy who, as we all know and believe, sent them all there to do what they did, 
which is to try to overthrow the government attacking the capital and so on. They have no choice but to give him a significant length of time. Otherwise, yeah. their concern is that they're being too lenient. And it goes right back to your opening on your book, which is Lady Justice wears a blindfold for a reason. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's seditious conspiracy, and he's obviously now been found guilty, and the judge has his discretion, I think we really do have to start to put into perspective some of these disproportionate sentencing, like three years and three years supervised release for, as I said, you know, another guy having a tryst with a porn star and a Playboy playmate. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, look, I think there's an interesting line to be drawn here. When you look at this guy, Stuart Rhodes, I mean, he is probably the single most powerful, well-connected, whatever you want to call it, person who has been charged IDOJ in connection with January 6th as of this moment, December 2nd, 2022. And that is an outrage. 900 people have been charged. And the single most powerful guy is this guy, Stuart Rhodes. I mean, he's the founder or the president of Oath Keepers. He's this, he, he yes, he's a dangerous guy. Yes, he committed very serious crimes. Yes, he needs to go away for, for a long time, I believe. But he's not a powerhouse. He has no proximity to official power. And nobody... Mm -hmm in anywhere near Donald Trump's orbit. Forget about Donald Trump. No Eastman, no Jeffrey Clark, no Flynn, no Stone, no uh, Steve Bannon on down the line have been charged for January 6th. Now that could change. And I think it's, you know, it, I think the signs are there that it's becoming increasingly likely that we do see charges against more powerful people, but it's going to take so long. We're going to be more than two years out by the time that happens. And it, every day that passes, it gets harder and harder to convict these guys. The conduct feels more distant. You get closer and closer to the 2024 election where Donald Trump's a candidate now. So I do think I do think if you look at the January 6 prosecutions in, in some odd ways, Michael, there's there's parallels to your prosecution. They go, let's really drop the hammer hard on this guy here. Whether it's Michael Cup, not that you're Stuart Rhodes, I'm not comparing you to him, but but I, I you know, appreciate that. Well, while, while the real guy, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to compare you to Jeffrey Dahmer either. Thank right? you. Listen, <laughs> I will say this, Michael. Stuart Rhodes went to went to a higher ranked law school than either you or me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, he might just so the viewers know he went to Yale Law School, um, and so a friend of mine is a classmate of his. I said, "Oh, pride of Yale Law, huh?" Um, but look, there, you know, in yeah. some ways, you or a, you know, a guy who is who is on foot level, you know, on the street level, um, is an easier target than the guy who's giving the orders or letting the orders be known or putting word out there that are understood as orders from a remove, from a distance. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, it's true. And it's unfair. And yeah. I'm glad you wrote your book. Now, let's get on to Merrick Garland for a quick sure. By the way, before I get on to Merrick Garland, <laughs> then why not Alan Weisselberg? I mean, do you think that it doesn't piss me off to some extent, that yeah. Alan Weisselberg, who's still fucking lying, he's still 